has known were faithful ones from every tongue will one day come before the sun will stand made faultless through the land believing hearts find promised grace salvation comes hear heaven's voice a sing their thunderous anthem rings through emerald courts and sapphire skies their praises rise all glory wisdom power strength thanks and honor are to God our King who reigns on high I'm glad you're here tonight. You're probably here because you want to know what I think God is doing about the Super Bowl. 
1 Kings 18, verses 20 through 39, if you hadn't already looked it up, is the Super Bowl in the Old Testament. It is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And the contest that was held on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, verse 20. The sermon is, whom is God pulling for in the Super Bowl? And uh, you'll have to stay to the end of the sermon to hear my prediction. 1 Kings 18, verse 20 says, you know the, the challenge that Elijah gave Ahab. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call on the name of your God and I will call the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull which was given to them, they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Maybe you need to cry louder, for he is a god. Either he's musing or he's gone aside. That's a euphemism for using the restroom. Or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. Midday passed. They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one heeded. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let's pray.
God, we are here because you are the Lord, our God, and beside you there is no other. There are many uh, pretenders, many idols we have created with our own hands that we are so prone to worship. But we are here tonight to thank you that we serve a God whom we did not create, but who created us. Let our worship be pleasing in your sight. Come down with fire and consume it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is it about football that people go absolutely crazy over? This amazes me, and I was going to get Bill Hughes up here to give you a demonstration, but he refused. But if you give him a team and a year that played Alabama, he can tell you what happened in that game, what the final score was, and pretty much how it came about. That's his memory for football. Tonight it's Super Bowl. And for the past several weeks, that's all we've been hearing on TV along with the Winter Olympics. Now I can remember, and you probably can too, when the Falcons actually got pretty close in the playoffs. I think John Riggins was a running back and uh, maybe before Michael Vick was quarterback, but they were doing the Dirty Bird and they actually had a con Dirty Bird contest at the mall. Do you remember that? It was crazy. It's rare, but it got close. And let me tell you, tonight you do not want to be in New Orleans or Indianapolis because they are going crazy. And uh, no matter which team wins, you certainly don't want to be in either of those cities after hours tonight. A lot of comparisons have been drawn between church and football. Let me give you some church descriptions of football terms. Quarterback sneak. That's when church members leave during the invitation. Draw play. That's what children do with their bulletins during worship. Halftime is the period between Sunday school and worship when a lot of people leave. Bench warmer is those who don't sing, pray, kneel, or do anything at all but sit in the pew. Backfield in motion is making a trip to the vestibule to use the restroom. Staying in the pocket is what happens to money during the offering. <laughs> Two-minute warning is when you realize the service is drawing to a close and you begin gathering your children and belongings. Instant replay is when the preacher loses his place in his notes and falls back on last week's sermon. <laughs> Sudden death is what happens to the attention span of the congregation if the preacher goes into overtime. <laughs> a trap is, is what uh, you're called on to lead in prayer and you've been asleep. The end run is getting out of church quickly without speaking to anybody by a side door. Flex defense is the ability to allow absolutely nothing said during the sermon to impact your life. Halfback option is the decision of 50% of the congregation not to return for the evening service. <laughs> A blitz is the rush for the restaurants after the closing prayer. What is it that gets into people? What are these fans experiencing? I can guarantee you one thing, there are churches in New Orleans and Indianapolis today where people were praying for their team to win. Sports for a lot of people has become a religion. It's a place where people invest their emotions and even their lives, and so you get phrases. It's kind of funny, I uh, like to collect them. Uh, the Miracle Mets, 
the Immaculate Reception. You remember that, Franco Harris and the Steelers? Touchdown Jesus. You know what that is? That's the mosaic of Jesus at Notre Dame where his arms are like this. Sports teams give people something to worship. So in thinking about this evening's service coinciding with the Super Bowl, I thought about this contest, this Super Bowl contest in the Old Testament between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, who was the Babylonian god. Baal was the favorite. Any bookie could have told you that. His people were doing all the trash talk. The Babylonians had conquered all the known world with his help, or so they thought. And when their worship is in full swing, all the prophets of Baal whip themselves up into a frenzy, even to the point, it says, of cutting themselves with knives and lances until they start bleeding. Contrast that with the God of Israel, the underdog here by at least two touchdowns. At this point in history, Babylon is ruling the world. Many of the prophets and priests have forsaken God, the God of Israel, except one. His name was Elijah. And I could at this point say something about how out of control the prophets of Baal had become and, and note how little that accomplishes and draw some parallel to football. I might be able to get away with that during professional football, but I would not try that during college football. That hits too close to home. But what I really want to point out this evening is the response of each of the gods to the worship of his people. From Baal, the mighty storm god of the Babylonians, there is not so much as even a little lightning bolt, not even a peep. You can feel the emptiness. You can hear crickets while his prophets are waiting for Baal to do something mighty. Contrast that with the God of Israel's response to the worship offered by Elijah. The sacrifice was laid at the altar. Three times it was drenched with buckets of water during a drought. And still fire descended out of heaven that consumed not only the sacrifice soaked through and through as it was, but it also consumed the wood and the stone and the dust and, and the, even the water that had drained into the trenches surrounding the altar. It consumed it all. It consumed everything. You get now a sense of the fullness, the meaning of this worship of Israel's God. Somewhere, somehow, over the years, we have managed to take this worship of the same God of Israel this gospel of Jesus Christ and make it boring and routine. What stories like this out of the Bible should tell us that when we worship God, we should not be surprised when fire comes down out of heaven. We should expect it. That kind of excitement and passion that people experience when they go to a football game, why isn't that replicated in church? It's not that we need more excitement to worship. It's just that we need to remember how meaningful, how essential worship is to our very souls. A young minister was told just before morning worship service that a dear and faithful woman in that church had just passed away. You've got to do something. The church member told him, uh, who, who shared the news, you've got to say something that will help us, that will make us feel better. Well, of course, he was a young minister, and what he wanted to do was find somebody to fill in for him. He wanted to quit. 
The job was too demanding and he was too unprepared for something that drastic. But instead, he went ahead with the worship service and people told him afterwards that something special happened during that service. Things were said and done that helped them. For them that day, worship had become a matter of life and death and it touched them all. And I thought about that kind of thing from time to time. We have special services here when something happens and I can't explain it and I can't control it, but God shows up and you know it and you sense it. You can't bottle it. You cannot make it happen. But sometimes something happens that's just entirely out of our control and we have absolutely nothing to do with it, but God touches it and he makes a worship service transform into a genuine service of worship and you know he's there. He's in the midst of it and you can feel his presence. And that's why I try to preach every Sunday as if somebody's life depended on it because it just may. I preach as if this were the only opportunity somebody here tonight might have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only opportunity they might have to receive him as Lord and Savior. And worship is a matter of life and death when you get right down to it. And I'm amazed when we are singing or praying or receiving the offering or occasionally even during the event of preaching at just how near heaven seems to be, how very real and present among us God seems to be. So remember, as you go home this evening to watch the last half of the Super Bowl, yelling things at the TV screen that you might not want to repeat here in church, that there is one whose love for you and passion for you is unequaled and unbelievable. To worship the one true God is to call down fire out of heaven, to hear voices from another world, to be touched by an unseen hand. It's to stumble upon that place for which our souls truly long. And so I've decided that I don't want our worship to be like a football game. Fans can be fickle. God deserves better. I want our worship to be transformed by Him into a sacrifice that calls upon Him as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And He sends fire down. And our worship is received as a sacrifice unto Him. So you want me to tell you who God is pulling for tonight? You'd love to know. He's pulling for you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that tonight, regardless of what happens in Miami between the saints and the Colts, that you are above that, that weightier matters such as life and death are of greater concern to you. There may be someone here tonight that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. And tonight can be that opportunity where they confess their sins and invite you into their heart. 
and experience salvation. Someone might be watching by television. God, I don't know and I can't control how you conduct worship. And when you decide to be in our midst and transpire things that we do into something that's heavenly and of eternal proportion. But we know it when it's happened and we long for it. We need it. Every Sunday, every time when we kneel before you, fill our hearts with your spirit. Transform what we do into a sacrifice that calls fire down and consumes it completely. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this evening is number 447. 447, Trust and Obey. I'll be at the front to receive you. If you have a decision to make public, you make it now. This is the opportunity you have. This is the moment you have. Professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this church, coming to pray. 447, trust and obey. You come, I'll be at the front. Let's stand together.